some who call me Tim. The lights go down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. Welcome once again to the edge of insanity, the edge of darkness, the edge of moisture, if you're living in the Midwest where I am right now. (laughs) Uh, Lots and lots of moisture. (laughs) Edge of heat stroke. (laughs) Oh my god. Well, I mean, uh, here in uh, southern Indiana, we actually had... Um, last Friday, the remnants of a tropical storm moved through here. I mean, and it still, it, it held on to its, uh, um, its spinning, its, you know, vortex motion, you know, that, that, that low, uh, that, that really ultra low, uh, uh, pressure system right in the middle and the clouds, you would watch it, look at it in the radar. And I mean, it looked like a small hurricane, yeah, you know, yeah. go, going through, uh, southern and central Indiana. And boy, I tell you, it, it brought us a ton of rain. I mean, we were fortunate. I mean, we, we didn't get nearly the amount, uh, that some other places, uh, uh did. But, I mean, for, for us, it was, it was substantial. And, uh, and then after, naturally, after it brought, after it left, then all of that heat and humidity from the Gulf of Mexico just pours up through here. There's nothing in between to stop it. You know, if we had like maybe the Rocky Mountains or something in between, you know, we wouldn't have that. But no, it's just a straight shot. I could probably, you know, if I was strong enough, I could throw a rock from here and hit the Gulf of Mexico. There wouldn't be anything in between to stop it. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Well, and, and, you know, I'm preaching to the choir, aren't I? Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, crazy here with just a lot of heat in the last few days. I mean, you know, we have storms every now and then. We had one about a week ago that was pretty good. But uh, it's just one of those things where... It's summertime in the deep south, and uh, you can expect uh, you can expect the same temperatures you would expect in North Africa. Because actually, where I live right now is if you go directly due east, you hit Morocco, which is where I lived as a kid. Mm, so that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sitting, you know, at basically the same the same point on the globe, just you know, on the other side of the globe, just about the same latitude, and uh, it's hot. And it's oh, going to wow. be 107 <laughs> a heat index today, plus the humidity. Mm. We still have tons of humidity. So, you know, we're hoping it'll cool off in the next few days. Hopefully we'll oh. have a few thunderstorms, of course. I'm sure we'll probably be the result of that. But uh, well, what, was it, what, what was that series of lines from, uh, was it Bloxy Blues, you know, where he was uh, complaining. He was like, oh, it's hot. You know, not just normal hot, it's Africa hot, you know. <laughs> Tarzan yeah. couldn't take this kind of heat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's really like that here. It's, it's, people come here from elsewhere where they think it's hot. They yeah. Can't, they can't take it. They, they'll come from like the, the desert southwest and they'll, they'll come here and they'll be like, oh my god. Because mm-hmm. they, they don't, they're not used to the humidity. Yeah. We have the same heat, but we don't have the, but we have the humidity too. 
And it's kind of like, you know, unless you're used to it, it's like being inside of a sauna uh, the whole time you're outside. So, Yes, but uh, with uh, with none of the benefits. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, throw in chiggers and mosquitoes and uh, and other fun things, and that's uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what you got. Yep. Uh, there's a, you know, there's there's not much difference, I don't think, you know, uh, weather wise between uh, where you are in Mississippi and and where I am here in in southern Indiana. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys get the heat too. I mean, it's yeah, well, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh and well, and and in case I uh, I forgot to mention, you are listening to the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz. With me tonight, of course, as always, is Mike Mott. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, yes, indeed. And well, glad enough to about. Be here. Yes, very happy to be here on for for me now. It is uh, Monday morning. Uh, Mike is still Mike is a little bit slow, so I mean yep. it takes him a while. A little to bit slow. Up. I'm in the time warp. <laughs> That's right. Uh, again. Yep. Exactly. It seems to always uh, you happen. Know, like every week. Uh, it's really strange. Uh, you, you probably don't get that. Let's do the time warp again. Yeah. Are you familiar with that song? Yeah. Oh, okay, all right. There's a little quiet on your end there, so yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I, I wanted to ask you: Did you see the uh, the um, uh, somebody had actually posted a video to my Facebook page that was taken with a cell phone in Indi in Indiana, uh, near Indianapolis? Uh, some I know where, weird I know stuff where you're in talking the clouds about. going on. Did you see that? Yes, I did. I did, and in fact, that uh, that location was just you know like a couple miles from where I used to live. Wow, and, that's uh, crazy. The, the, uh, south side of Indianapolis. Well, and for uh, uh, for those of the audience who who may not be familiar with this, it uh, this guy uh, took some video. It was of a uh, it was a thunderstorm cloud, uh, cumulonimbus, and in it was a a bright. It looked almost like a searchlight, like a spotlight inside of this cloud. Yeah, yeah. And it was like it was it was jumping around. It was and arching back and bendy. forth. Shooting off at high speed, coming back. It was crazy. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the arc uh, electricity on a Tesla coil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, from from what I have read from some other sources, now I've seen this phenomenon before in other videos, and uh, according to meteorologists, this is a phenomenon where um, ice crystals have uh, have formed in the upper levels of a thunderstorm, and they become electrified, and they start they start basically jumping around and uh, uh, re. Is it what would it be would it be not reflecting light? It would be refracting light. I think is what it was, uh, because the sun has to be in a certain position in order for this to work. And uh, it seemed to me that the sun was fairly close uh, uh, behind uh, where the thunderstorm was in this one particular video. Uh, but I've seen cases where there's no apparent light source, and so I mean it could be you know just like almost like a. Um, um, an electrified source that's uh, self-perpetuating. Yeah. Well, they said something about the ice crystals were reordering themselves because they would unfreeze and then they would freeze again inst- instantly. Is that how it works? It was just really weird explanation, but it was strange because it almost looked like it was conscious, you know, the way it was moving. It was mm. almost like it was alive. It was very weird. It is. It's very eerie, and uh, like I said, there's if if you look around, you'll find other videos of this uh, similar phenomena, 
and it I mean it looks it looks intelligent almost just it the does. way that this that this light is moving around and uh, but I mean if uh, if it is just a a natural albeit uncommon event you know it just goes to show you I mean just some of the bizarre things that that happen you know on this planet uh, yeah. that's like uh, did you see the video of it was a uh, um, it was a water trap in a uh, at a golf course that all of a sudden it just uh, just started erupting in geysers and wow. people where, where, the, no I didn't see this where was the set oh boy uh, British Columbia maybe wow that's uh, yeah. bizarre uh, well and the people who were taking uh, taking the video they said that uh, the air smelled of uh, propane. Now the uh, 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 the company that owned the golf course said that there weren't any gas lines nearby, so it wasn't like a, a break in a gas line that was causing this. So the only thing that uh, anybody could think of is that there may have been like a pocket of methane, you know, underneath that water trap that just all of a sudden broke loose. That's what it sounds but, like. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, boy, that's a lot of methane. <laughs> it would have been really cool if it had ignited. <laughs> oh my God! Well, I tell well, I tell you something. The way that um, that that water was uh, uh, was geysering up, that was a lot. That would have been a lot of gas, and that yeah. that probably would have sparked a, a pretty big explosion. Exactly. If uh, somebody tried, I was thinking the same thing though. I was, oh, somebody just saw a thrill of my ass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey guys, what's this? You know, <laughs> yeah, that actually that would have been kind of amusing, but yeah, for about two seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, well, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that didn't happen around here. <laughs> well, you know, people are people are uh, always doing dumb things like that, though. So I kind of think it's funny when it happens. Um, you know. Well, Go ahead, Ben. So I was going to say this whole there been you know there's been a lot of of uh, similar things happening though you know around the globe with these sinkholes appearing and supposed outbursts of something from inside the Earth and so it's it's more common than people think it is more, more common than we realize but it's kind of like anything today that people think is really really becoming you know epidemic whether it's violence or shootings or whatever it's not any more than it ever was. It's just that we have instant media access to everything that happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In uh, real time. In know. real, yeah. Worldwide. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> so yeah, it's it, almost it's, instantaneous. Yeah. That's what it's really. That's what's. That's what's really uh, going on with all this stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, and, well, and that's you know, I mean, that's that's one of the beauties I think of the internet. I mean, you know, uh, I put out the conspiracy journal uh, newsletter. And uh, so I am able to get these types of stories within a matter of hours from practically right. anywhere that they happened. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that when the when the whole Internet started, you know, I mean, you know, I always thought it was cool that you could uh, turn on your shortwave radio and uh, listen to the news from uh, the other side of the planet. Right. And then, you know, once. Uh, um once the internet really got going 
and you were getting emails from those same places instantaneously. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, uh, kids nowadays who, I mean, they were born and it's, you know, the Internet's here. I mean, they don't think anything about it. I suppose it's equivalent to um, our parents when they saw television for the first time. Yeah, yeah, probably. You know, I mean, I mean, and I agree, you know, I was born, television was already around, so I was just, you know, and I just, it was hard for me to understand, you know, what was, you know, why was that so, you know, fantastic and cool? Yeah. Well, you know, it's amazing <laughs> because you can find out all kinds of stuff on the internet almost instantly. For instance, you know, that uh, last week there was a major event that a lot of people didn't even have any idea about, but if, if it hadn't been for the internet, we wouldn't even have known about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim Schwartz had a birthday. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That was that was earlier in the week, and you know, yeah. it's uh, uh, yeah. Thank you, know, thank you, Facebook. Of course, I suppose I I didn't have to uh, um, leave it public. Turn, t- turn that option on. I don't know. Um, when I when I originally signed up for Facebook, you know, it was like one of these things that uh, you know down the road you just. You just don't know um, what's going to be in store for you when you um, um, add these things. You know the the your public uh, um, public information, or maybe it shouldn't be public information, like your birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah only my friends can see it. You know. Well, well that's you know that, that's the way that I have it too. Um, I mean, you know, the uh, people can see my profile, but everything else is. Uh, is hidden so but uh but once again you know it's like i was saying before you know i mean here i'm getting you know like uh, uh happy birthdays from people from all over the planet yeah you know? and, and you know how cool is that that's true it is cool <laughs> but, but but how many of those people actually really care about you <laughs> they all do they all love me Mike. <laughs> And you're and, yeah, and you're, yeah. you're not going to convince me otherwise. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I actually I actually do have some very good friends. You know, and a lot of them I eventually have met in person, who I met online as friends. You know, in discussion groups and even on Facebook and stuff. And mm-hmm. and it really is a positive thing in that regard because it has. Brought me some really good friends that otherwise I would never have even known. So, you yeah, know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's 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 the same way it is with me. There's a uh, there's a great song and video uh, by a a comedy duo who goes by the name of uh, what Garfunkel and Oates. Uh, uh, um, I don't know if you've ever seen seen them before, but uh, they they have some fantastic songs, and one of them is um, Happy Birthday to My Facebook Friend. And it is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and it, I mean it, and it really does. I mean, it hits, it hits the nail on the head with the whole uh, uh, wishing your Facebook friends a happy birthday. <laughs> you know, because I don't know you very well, but I'm going to, you know, you're, you're so important to me that I'm going to spend this, this next few minutes to send you a birthday wish. And <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even take that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do send some to people, uh, birthday wishes, but I I, um, there are others I see and I think you know I don't really know this person. You know, this person sent me a friend request. I don't really know this person, so I'm just not going to send them a birthday wish. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to draw the line somewhere. 
Oh, sure. Oh, sure. You know. <laughs> what, gets, what gets me is, you know, I, I guess on my personal Facebook page, a lot of discussion goes on, mainly because of the number of the, – the type of posts that I make, which can be provocative, I guess, and other people <laughs> who are friends of mine who are just as opinionated. And But what gets me is I never go to somebody else's page ever, ever and start arguing or making blandishments, you know. Oh, right, right. And people come – look, look. People come to my page and start that crap. They're going to get a new one torn. That's just that's what's going to happen. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm just telling you because you know that to me that's the equivalent in, the, in a digital sense. But but it, it's the equivalent of coming to somebody's front porch doorstep or even into their living room and pulling down your pants and defecating on the floor. Okay, <laughs> this is you know th- this is my space. Don't come here and defecate here. You know, right. keep your defecation on your page. You know. <laughs> However, if you do that, you can ex- fully expect me to very likely follow you back to where you came from and return the favor. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, it's as, bad etiquette. As, really. as as we have as we have talked before uh, on this show, there are just people out there that just, I mean, I, I really do think that they just enjoy a fight. Um, you know, I mean, I suppose that a lot of them, they don't have the, uh, they don't have the clavos to have a face to face confrontation. Right. So the internet yeah. is, is, you know, the perfect, uh, uh, venue for them to, to air their grievances, and most of these people, everything is a grievance to them. Yeah. Well, they're just looking for something, and, and they like attention. And, you know, they probably don't really have much of a life, so, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, uh, I mean, you could, uh, you can say the most, the, the, the most simple, simplest thing, you know, have a good day, you know, on your Facebook page, and there'll be some, you know, uh, Oh, moron. Okay, I'll keep it nice. Moron. Moron's good. Yeah. Moron. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of another uh, uh, series of words, but I'll just say moron. You know, who 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 will try to uh, get into a fight with you about that? You know, it's just like you know, what the hell? I said good morning. You know, why why does that? Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Like, good morning. What are you? Some kind of liberal freak? Not just well, that, but you're. <laughs> what's wrong with nighttime? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> uh, well, you see, and there you go. There's the, uh, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, worldwide politics 101. You just said it right there. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something that's really funny to me. Uh, I know we, get, we need to go to break soon and get, bring our guest on, but, you know, uh, there was a news story in the last couple of days where, uh, uh, the new movie Jurassic World has come under attack by the politically correct. They're, they're, they're up in arms. They're infuriated. They're demanding that it be pulled. They're demanding that it be boycotted. Because there's a type of dinosaur in the movie called Pachybrachiosaurus. Okay. Pachybrachiosaurus okay. has this big bulb. It has a big bulb on its head and they would probably bang heads and they would probably also use this bulb for vocalizations. Like a big oh, okay. trumpet. And they have them in the movie, and they call them Pachybrachiosaurus like once. And then after that, they call them Pachys. And they say, oh, the Pachys are out of the enclosure, stuff like that. Right. Well, in Britain, apparently, that is a slanderous term for people of Pakistani origin. Really? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, they get really offended by it, and and they are just up in arms. What do you mean the packies are out of the enclosure? <laughs> you know, so you know, I I think that the level of sheer stupidity with political correctness is coming very close to the tipping point. Um, you know, you got people when I want to be transabled, not just transgender. They want to have their limbs amputated so they can be disabled. I mean, because person, because psychologically, I've always been disabled. You know, whatever, <laughs> idiot. How about trans bullet to the head? You know. Well, um, you know that the 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 trans that's that's not new. I've I mean that's been around for a long time. Where where people have this, and a lot of times it it's it's like a fetish. Type of situation yeah. Yeah. where they want to have like a limb cut off to gratify some kind of you know. <laughs> see, see, all, some see, all of these types of things. All of these types of things in, in 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 earlier, more rational times would have been designated as what they are, which is mental illness. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's all mental illness. All all this stuff is mental illness. Even the outrage, the fake outrage, is a form of mental illness, and it, because it's it's called a persecution complex. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know, I think we've we've reached the point to where the stupidity has reached a level to any any and all such claims are invalidated. Okay, <laughs> period. So well, no, okay, okay. Well, once again, though, I don't think that that you know, um, and I know that there's going to be people who will dispute me on this, but I don't think people are any more stupid than they ever have been. We just now, it's like we were talking about earlier, we just now have the ability to get news and informa- information instantaneously and to also communicate well, they, they, uh, instantaneously. They can, they can network now, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's very easy. Blisters. Yes. So it's very easy that if somebody... You know, uh, uh, here's some kind of uh, perceived, um, you know, uh, uh, like you were saying, like the packy. Somebody sees that, and they can just instantly get online and yeah, yeah. and just get uh, everybody else who has no life up in arms as well. Well, you know, uh, what do you mean about a toaster? I feel like a toaster. <laughs> there I, you go. <laughs> I like to have hot bread inside of me. You don't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, and. and there's, and then there's lots of people who were like, yes, you know, this guy has a right to be a toaster. Why are you standing in his, in his exactly. way? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it, it is, it's, it is mental illness. It's, it's, it's group psychosis and various groups of, with this, with the same psychosis getting together and, you know, in neuroses and, and psychoses both. So, all right, man. Well, we got a great well, guest today. Uh, well, who do we, who do we have today? We have Robert who is our guest? Star. Who is right. a superstar in the realm of uh, of conspiracies, anomalies, politics, intelligence, and in the intelligence gathering sense, um, he's an intelligence analyst too, and uh, just a really fascinating guy uh, with with ufology and and mysteries of the moon and all kinds of cool stuff. So I'm looking forward to talking to him again. Yes, this is uh, um, uh, we we've had. Uh, Robert before on our the the previous incarnation of yep. uh, the Outer Edge, but I don't know if we have had him on actually think, the Outer I, Edge. I, I, I think we have. I think we have. Uh, have we had him on once before? Okay. I believe that near the beginning of of this this incarnation of the show. The, yes, I this think he had previous been on. incarnation. Well, I just I I, I remember that uh, the last time that we talked with him. 
Um, I wanted uh, I wanted more time to discuss his uh, findings with uh, lunar mysteries, and we didn't really get enough time for that. So right. uh, hope, hopefully now we will be able to do that. So we'll, let's go ahead and go to our break, and uh, we'll bring on Robert, and then we'll find out uh, everything that he knows and maybe more. So I'm Tim Swartz. You are listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Stay tuned. We will be right back with our guest, Robert Morningstar right after this. team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology preventative maintenance and networking support hardware and custom built computers let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly monthly or annual rates to fit anyone's budget call key information solutions now 954-973-3374 That's 954-973-3374 Or visit keyinformation.com TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application Mobile Talk Radio Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. 
Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued. I'm Mike Mott, here with Tim Schwartz, and we are now being joined by our very special guest, Robert Morningstar. Robert, how are you, man? I'm fine, thank you. Pleasure to be here with you again. Really good to have you on the show again. I yeah, was thank you back, very much. <laughs> yeah, I was looking back through the archives. You've actually been on the show twice before, and I think you were also on the other show we were on um, before we started The Outer Edge. Yes, I recall a very uh, serious JFK anniversary broadcast that stands out in my mind. As well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is this is great. Um, what have you been up to lately? I see that you've been on coast to coast a bit, and yeah. Well, it, it seems that uh, the people on coast to coast uh, like to hear my opinions and my analysis. As you know, I civilian intelligence analyst, and I analyze intelligence and make it coherent for the every everyday person. For the common man, as we used to say in the in the Kennedy era, yeah. and been appreciated, and I'm I'm really a, very active in uh, a lot of things, and you know to keep the Congress and the President in check, it's up to us. That's, that's all I can say. But it's, I've had a great reception to my work on UFOs and the uh, my lunar research, and I did a, a really enjoyable program on the meaning of Haunabu the secret German code word for their flying saucer projects. Uh, Seventy years or more that people uh, in intelligence and in the public uh, realm have been wondering why the Germans named their their secret flying saucer project Haunabu. And I did too. And then about two years ago, three years ago, I discovered the meaning of it by reading the Rosetta Stone, translation wow. of Rosetta Stone. So we can get into all of that. And, yeah, that sounds that uh, sounds cool. About the, the moon and uh, the secret space program, very important in the last year, exposing the hijacking of our economy, the the bilking of the public trust, and and uh, yeah. and the treasury itself being shipped offshore and forty trillion dollars disappearing with no accountability. So all of these are are big issues and partly explain the dire straits in which we find ourselves economically and politically in the world today. Right. So they, they, they didn't go and just, like, chip it off to the moon. They chipped it off in a lot of different directions. Uh, I just, I recommend to everyone who's listening that you do your own research and really plow into all of these databases that are available to the public including 
CIA.gov, FBI.gov, and NSA.gov. Each of them has a Freedom of Information section and a reading room, as they call it. And you can go in there and explore their, the files that have been released. One of the most significant files I've uncovered came from the FBI.gov reading room, and it deals with Hitler's uh, surviving World War II and having made it to Argentina in two submarines. And there's a, an affidavit there written by an Argentinian who was part of the, I would call it the mule pack, that met Hitler and his entourage, got them to shore safely from the submarines, and then trekked for 10 days into the, the outback or the jungles to the safe house where Hitler uh, holed up for the, for the next few years and had a, apparently uh, a pleasant life in Argentina for the rest of his days while Russia and the United States covered up the fact that they didn't know what had happened to him. The Russians, All right. had, the uh, Russians uh, had said they found his body and a skull, and then when they did a DNA studies of the skull in 1997, it turned out to be a woman's skull. So, hmm. big mysteries. So now, why would the United States and Russia cover this up? Uh, because, I mean, I've heard this before, Robert, that, uh, you know, that, I mean, they were well aware that Hitler did not die, you know, in the, in the bunker that day. Well, it would have yeah. been shocking to the world to realize that uh, even though we had overrun Germany militarily, the, the principal criminal, criminals, plural, had gotten mm -hmm. away. And plural because Martin Bormann disappeared and... Um, Hans Klammer and big wigs, big wigs in the secret weapons projects um, just disappeared and they had no, uh, they couldn't bear to tell the public that. And also, the presence of Hitler still alive with some of his main henchmen posed a, a threat after World War II. And both the British and the Americans. Uh, uh, made efforts to deal with them. Of course, I'm talking about uh, Operation High Jump and Admiral Byrd's uh, trek to the Antarctic to try to extirpate the the Nazi remnant in Neue Schwabenland. To make a long story short, it took a very long time in uh, Neue Schwabenland. The German outpost in, uh, in Antarctica was actually wiped out in 1957 and 58 with atomic bombs. The atom bombs that were detonated by Britain and the United States during what was called the International Geophysical Year were, were uh, hyped as uh, research projects. Right. However, both detonations happened in the area of Neuschwabenland. So it was a cover story for the wiping out of the, the, German, uh, the German outposts down there. So, so what what year did that happen? In fifty-eight and around fifty-eight. So that, that was after that was after so-called Operation High Jump. Oh, ten years, ten years and more. Yeah. Operation High Jump was uh, nineteen forty-six to forty-seven. Right. Forty-seven, actually. The British had an, uh, an operation down there in forty-six, and it was partially successful, but they also had to hightail it out of there. Then Admiral Byrd went down there, and it was supposed to be for six months, and they came back uh, really beaten after about two months. He stopped off in Argentina and warned the world that in the future the, the United States may have to fight a war 
against uh, aircraft that have the capacity to fly from pole to pole uh, without refueling. And after he made that statement, he was met at the Washington Navy Yards by uh, the Office of Naval Intelligence, and he was basically held incommunicado for five days at Bethesda Naval Hospital, not able to see his family, not able to speak to the press, and he came out of that a very embittered man because they, uh, right? Well, I say they read him the riot act. <laughs> well, well, you know the the interesting thing is uh, apparently, whether it was between Argentina and 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 uh, Antarctica, but for quite a while the Russians, not the Russians, excuse me, the, the Germans had been building it, building some sort of apparatus down there, some sort of 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 series of, of secret bases and, and stuff like that. So there's no telling how long they were working mm-hmm. on these on these aircraft and, and at what point they had transferred that research to these remote areas. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to wonder how do they know in advance, you know, they didn't want the Russians to get the bell. I think mm-hmm. they were really worried about that. Uh, they were more worried about the Russians getting it than they were us getting it. Mm-hmm. But but uh, obviously for him to go down there and then have some sort of confrontation with saucer type craft, um, mm-hmm. you know, based on or, or German saucer craft, they had to have had a significant uh, manufacturing facility mm-hmm. um, and, and so forth. They had to, and yeah. my, my guess would be that raw materials were probably coming from Argentina and, and going from Argentina to Antarctica. That may be so, but also the the area of Neue Schwabenland was vast open land and tremendous mineral resources. In fact, over the last uh, two years, I've been studying uh, the secret land. You know, the uh, the documentary that was uh, made by Admiral Byrd about high, Operation High Jump. And in some of those clips that move by so quickly, there's just a couple of seconds at most, I have found a, a, a film of a tremendous complex, a gigantic pyramidal complex that seems to have collapsed. One side has collapsed on itself. And in the coming year, I will be releasing this photograph or these photographs of this area. But the the resources were there, and the land was open, apparently warm by geothermal uh, heat that has uh, warm water lakes and uh, basically... It looks um, it looks like open tundra in some places, and it looks like uh, Switzerland in other places. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, if if nuclear weapons were detonated there, or even atomic weapons, yeah, atomic. That, that that could that that could explain the 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 supposedly gigantic ozone hole because an yeah. atomic weapon punches a hole in the ozone layer. You are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. That hole in the ozone layer over Antarctica that was, uh, quote-unquote, discovered in the 1970s and growing, yes, it could easily have been blown by, uh, ruptured uh, by these uh, two atomic bomb tests that were done in, in Antarctica by the United States and Britain. And who were the allies against the Nazis? The main yeah. ones, yeah, you know, U.S. and Britain. And so we had those, we had that place targeted for a very long time. But it had to be kept secret because it would have felt like a half-won war, 
And I really do believe it was a half-won war because so many of the resources, so many of the top-level Nazis escaped to Argentina and South America along with a hoard of gold. And we also know that Despina, that was the name of the organization, Despina, the spider, was leading a a, a new Reich out of South America. And it's interesting that on the day President Kennedy was killed, a group of investors in South America made a bundle of dough because they sold they sold short early in the morning of November 22nd and waited till noon and uh, by one o'clock the president was dead the stock market plunged and the next day in the coming days when the stock market opened again this very mysterious group of investors from South America uh, looted Wall Street. They bought up all the, the stocks that had plunged, and uh, they made a killing. Double, a double. Yeah. yeah. Listen, was Russia involved at all in these uh, maneuvers in, in Antarctica? Uh, not to my knowledge. At that time, we were still in the deepest throes of the Cold War, and we were hiding uh, everything from the Russians as they were hiding everything from us. So. No, I don't believe the Russians were involved with us in, in Antarctica. They're so far north that they have no yeah. real game, except they did go in well, Lake Vostok. Well, you know, they, they yeah, they don't... Officially, they don't have a territory. Right. But they have stations there for some somehow. They have an right. environmental station or something. Um, and, of course, like you said, they're doing research in Vostok. But uh, so I'm I'm just wondering how they're even doing the research they're doing there because they they really don't own or lay claim to any major portion of Antarctica. Well, Antarctica has been designated a, 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 a land without ownership, but the people that surround it in South America, the tip of South America, for example, Chile and Argentina, then you have Australia, all of the most southern um, hemisphere. Uh, countries, New Zealand. Well, if you go to, if we were to try to go to Antarctica, we would have to go to New Zealand first mm-hmm. as the jump-off point. And I've even heard that uh, that there are tunnels now that they have dug tunnels that are directly link um, New Zealand and Australia to Antarctica. Wow. And those are interesting. <laughs> We've seen some of the tunnels that the United States has dug with that atomic, that nuclear-powered uh, laser. Yeah, yeah, the subterrane. Yeah, the subterrane. Yes. Yeah. Hey, the subterrane. You know who invented the subterrane? Edgar Rice Burroughs. Edgar That's Rice. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. He, yeah. he wrote an amazing story called um, the Earth's Core. Pellucidar. Pellucidar. Yeah. Right, Pellucidar. The, first, the first one was at the Earth's Core. Yeah. It was a whole series of books. Yeah. Yeah, that is yeah. really an amazing thing. Hollow Earth stuff. Hollow Earth exactly. Stuff. But yeah. you know what? The the premise that he proposed in um, Pellucidar and uh, this um, to the Earth's core was that there is a subterranean reptilian race that's been around since time immemorial and comes right. to the surface to, to pluck up uh, human beings that they use for their pleasure. And right. uh, the food is quite quite an amazing uh, story. I, I think it ranks right up there with Journey to the Center of the Earth by Jules Verne in some it ways. Does. Yeah, he, he basically had written the, uh, he wrote he wrote the first one, he wrote, it was so popular, he wrote, I think, five 
books in the series, but uh, it's pretty cool. You know, it has the entire idea of of prehistoric fauna, prehistoric people uh, living there, and like you said, they're under the influence of the so-called Mahars or Mahars, which are nice. these reptilian, pterodactyl type humanoids yeah. uh, who are telepathic, also. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as we're on this literary uh, note here, I'd like to also recommend H.P. Lovecraft's uh, The Mountains of Madness. Yes. Oh, that, yes, yes. That's yep. the ultimate Antarctica. And actually, it's the the basis of the movies that we call The Thing. Right. Remember the, exactly. the James Bond? Is it, that's based on, um, on At the Mountains of Madness. And I'll tell you, when I read that, I realized what an incredible genius... Uh, and how well educated in in all in many fields of science, H.P. Lovecraft was. was Love, Lovecraft knew some things. I mean, he had things in his writings, and, and people want to deny this, but mm-hmm. he had things in there that obviously he was well versed in a lot of uh, esoteric knowledge. Mm-hmm. And he proclaimed to be a skeptic. He proclaimed to be a totally irrationalist and materialist and everything. But if you read what he wrote, you'll see that you know he's tying into all kinds of stuff, including uh, the names of ancient deities, which a lot of times weren't even so officially discovered yet. Right. Like, uh, like Yagsothoth, you know, which which is a, a, a sort of a wind elemental, and then you have in the Persian lore you have something called Yazata. Yazata. How close is it, you know, from Yazata to Yagsothoth? It's, it's right. pretty close, and Yazata is a as a wind elemental, but that's not the only one. There's like Yaldabaoth. Dozens, dozens, yeah, dozens of them are, are paralleled in really right. obscure uh, ancient deities and stuff. So. He really yeah. was on to something. Sure. And, you know, uh, people who are listening to us discuss this uh, are probably thinking, oh, you know, that's so far out. That's so science fiction. Who could believe that stuff? Well, I'll tell you who believed that stuff. The the German occultists believe that stuff. Jack Parson believed that stuff. Yep. And Jack Parson was, was involved in very black magic with Aleister Crowley, Crowley and L. Ron Hubbard in doing the Babylon working which seems to have opened up the portal for the same process. I believe that Jack Parsons learned about the German occult process of opening up these portals whereby there could be an exchange of information or resources. The Germans gave their ETs what they wanted and the ETs downloaded the knowledge that the Germans wanted for their uh, Bell project and the Hanabu project. And it was uh, mediums, mediums who were doing this. Uh, Maria Orsich, you know, who claimed that her extremely long hair was like an antenna. And she actually channeled blueprints and and designs for the Hanabu. And the Vril, actually the Vril aircraft, uh, spacecraft, uh, flying saucers. And Jack Parsons doing his... Um, his magical workings developed uh, the most advanced rockets that the United States had developed. And JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratories, was originally Jack Parsons Laboratory. So this overlap of uh, the occult sciences with the known sciences is a very important element in all research and an important element in the cover-up of uh, alternate technologies like uh, Tesla technology, in particular. Mm, I was right. watching. I was watching Flash Gordon. 
you know, you guys, you guys know that Buster Crab and Flash oh, yeah. are my icons uh, for what I wanted to grow up to be or who I wanted to grow up to be. And I was watching Flash Gordon again as I every couple of years I review the stuff. And the Flash Gordon this time struck me as an exposition of Tesla technology. And all the gadgetries that uh, Flash Gordon, Dr. Zarkov, and Ming were using were based on Tesla technology, like uh, remote transmission of energy, uh, the rays, the clocks run on this uh, energy that's not wired, the ray guns. Flash Gordon gets abducted by aliens, right? Ming is an alien, right? So he gets abducted by aliens and he suffers mind control. They put a strange helmet on his head, they give him some drugs, and they erase his memory of Dale Arden, you know, his paramour, and they make him fall in love with Princess Aura. Not a bad trade. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I go with that. Yeah, she was a little more wicked. Yeah. Uh, but but P- Patricia Lawson was a lovely lovely lady and she sacrificed a great deal in World War II. People don't know that she volunteered to be a whack um, women's, air, uh, women's army and she actually she actually lost a leg in World War II and, and was an amputee and that's why we didn't see her after World War II. So I, uh, I greatly admire her and uh, all of them. Do you know who wrote the first Flash Gordon screenplay? George, George S. Plimpton. Senior, <laughs> and when really? I yeah, and when I first saw the the moon sets on Flash Gordon, I thought that they were really crazy and wacky. And now that you know, I have some experience, some expertise on uh, lunar uh, topography. I realized, my lord, these these fellows went out and got the best astronomers of the time to to uh, coach them and give them uh, hints as to what the moon really looks like. Because, right. you know, we really don't know yet. Every time you see the moon in, in these um, panoramic uh, NASA photographs, it makes it look like the Sahara. And when you right. look at overhead shots of where they landed, there are tremendous uh, mountains and spires and highlands all around uh, the moon. Well, there's, they, even co- there's even color, Robert. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, there's a fellow. There's a fellow that I really admire. His name is uh, Skywatcher74 on the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And this guy yeah. has very high-resolution uh, tracking telescopes set up in Arizona. And he, he shoots the moon. He's got UFOs going across it. He claims that there's this thing called the lunar wave, which propagates uh, periodically uh, uh, from the north to the south of the moon. But he's the only person that has actually captured through a terrestrial telescope colors of the surface of the moon, the various colors, because the NASA strips the color from all those um, photographs that, that they take. Not all. Some have been emerging in the last few years that show the colors. But if you look at the Chinese photographs of their rover, there's a lot of red and brown dirt all over the place. And some of the patches on the brown dirt are green. And they've been showing some of the real colors of the moon. Now, Skywatcher 74 has done these amazing treks. And in his uh, videos of the moon, you can see the incredible height of some of the mountain ranges. But you see this rust-colored land 
uh, contrasted with other colors very subtly. People were very skeptical years ago when I talked about, um, let me see, Steve Troy wrote an article years ago called The True Colors of the Moon, and he explained how NASA turns down the gain and makes them gray out. Well, this, um, this is a paradox because people said to me, oh, really, why can't we see the colors of the moon then? And I, I pondered that for a long You know, why don't we see it at night? You know, And then I pondered it for a long time, and, and here's the answer. Do you know why the sky is blue? Nitrogen. Well, yes, primarily the atmosphere is filtering out almost all the rays of the spectrum except the blue the rays blue. during the day. That's right. Except at sunrise and sunset when the prismatic effect of the atmosphere creates um, the, the red, the orange, and in the mornings there's a green flash and it can be caught for a millisecond. Yeah. Anyway, there's actually a NASA photo of the moon taken, you know, close to the moon. Yeah. And it is just a blaze of colors. I mean, there's yes. color everywhere. Yeah. Well, here's the, here's the reason we can't see it. During the day, the atmosphere bleaches out everything and lets only the blue uh, light spectrum come in. Where does the atmosphere go at night? It, it doesn't go anywhere, right? It's right, still, yeah. And it's still doing the same thing. It's filtering out all the colors of the moon, except primarily those in the blue range. And so the, the moon looks blue, silver, gray to us. But this fellow, Skywatcher 74, with his, uh, his technology, was able to capture some of the most beautiful uh, video of the moon that I have ever seen, showing the different terrains and the different colors, because the moon is covered with minerals. There's a tremendous amount of iron, there's a tremendous amount of titanium, and yeah. uh, everything we can imagine. Well, so, is, that the, is that the reason then why, why NASA is uh, uh, trying to hide those uh, different colors? Well, you know, it's funny. They, they, they will take them out of actual photographs, but then they'll do these, uh, what they call false color uh, photographs yeah. to show the scattering of the mineral resources across the surface of the moon. Hmm. So, you know, it's it's a NASA's a kind of schizophrenic organization. Well, but don't forget that's, that way they can also they can also selectively show what minerals they want to show too. True. And also, let's talk a little bit about Mars because some wonderful things are coming from Mars right now. I have a friend on Facebook his name is Rami Bar Ilan. He's an Israeli researcher. This guy has amazing eyes, and he's just like like us. He's really, uh, I won't say obsessed, because then you do nothing else, <laughs> but really, really devoted to researching Mars. And he and his group of researchers uh, found this amazing pyramid uh, on Mars that can not be um, argued in any way to be a natural formation. It is a perfect pyramid. And the close-ups and enhancements that have been done shows that it is a construction. It has striations on, on the visible side of the part that's in sunlight. You can see layers, just like Giza is built up on layer after layer of these massive stones. This pyramid, or tip, possibly the tip of the pyramid, buried under Martian soil, is available. And it's you can find it on my Facebook page, which is basically my... 
I run it like a newspaper. I run my Facebook page. It's not selfies and you know that kind of stuff. It's very right. serious, serious articles on on um, myriad subjects. A lot of it has to do with um, the secrecy in, that government is um, imposing on everything. You know, from secret space program to secret negotiations and trade deals and hiding the laws that they want to pass on us. So I'm, I'm very involved in that. So I, I recommend that uh, people go to my Facebook page. I'm the guy with the, the head of a dolphin because <laughs> I espouse the mind of the dolphin, you know, which is a very powerful mind with multitasking capabilities and higher levels of understanding, a higher consciousness. And I think all of us ought to work in that direction to raise our consciousnesses. So there you will find the Pyramid on Mars. You will also find my latest articles on the Poughkeepsie Black Boomerang UFO. This, fellas, I'm celebrating. This article is the most popular article ever published on UFO Digest. A friend of mine, Greg, Greg Boone, has been telling me about his experiences in Poughkeepsie, New York, and the Hudson Valley UFO flap of the 1980s and 1990s. And he and a group of reporters, editors, and managers of the Poughkeepsie Journal, the main newspaper up there, they saw the UFO come approach them. They were watching from the windows of their offices, and the UFO came right up to the window and over the building and stopped and hovered over the building. And his description was, to me, was so explicit that I was able to compose a photorealistic image of a black boomerang UFO hovering at night over the offices of the Poughkeepsie Journal. And that image seems to have captivated a world audience. Coast to Coast, George Knapp uh, mentioned it in his news. And uh, we're coming on 7,000 7, readings of it in just four days. And now it's caused a firestorm. The people of Poughkeepsie are writing to Greg Boone and calling up the WPDH, the local radio station, relating their own experiences of having viewed these UFOs, but having had to keep quiet because of the ridicule. Hmm. And now, listen to this, the people of Poughkeepsie want to have a town meeting about the subject, and uh, we're hoping that WPDH will uh, help facilitate that and perhaps in October we'll, we'll oh, get cool. together yes so things are moving you know despite the cover up despite the denial and the ridicule which is not so great anymore have you noticed on TV now the, the ridicules factor and the skepticism factor is is almost gone there's no more uh, Michael Shermer there's no right. more Bill Nye well uh, it's getting harder to deny certain things but at the same time too we have to ask what agenda could be a, be afoot, you know, with that? Because when I look at the whole idea of disclosure, I believe that it's gonna, going to be mostly a political deception, and yes. that you know the, all those who cry for it are going to be misled, and they'll be at the forefront of being used, kind of like yes. what happened with the whole uh, uh, recent debacle with the the little child mummy that everybody said was an alien. You know that was so yeah. ridiculous, right. uh, but 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 see they they willingly suspended their critical reasoning because they were so eager to mm-hmm. to have the answer they wanted to have, and so you know if it is true that ancient civilizations here 
you know, went out into the solar system, which is what I believe. And if it is true that the Nazis were doing the same thing and figuring out the ancient technologies and, and recreating them, which I also believe, you know, and I think that all these things are mainly behind the UFO phenomenon, maybe not completely, but it's a huge part of it. But, you know, it's going to be easier rather than to say, okay, yeah, we, we actually didn't really win World War II because they actually outstripped us and just went off and developed a breakaway civilization and have already surpassed us. And, uh, I mean, how can you say that now at this point? So yeah. what you have to say is, oh, yeah, these are aliens, they're invaders, or they created us, they're our overlords. Everybody get in line, do what you're told. This is how we're going to deal with this. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to be used for that purpose, I believe. I believe it's going to be used to control the, the, the masses. Well, it seems that every news story is designed for that. If I may say one thing about the the, the mummy picture, um, I keep an open mind on things, you know, and uh, the pictures are fuzzy, and I don't know about the the technology for reading the fuzzy writing and all that, but let me just say this. The reason I kept an open mind on this thing, and until I see the thing myself, I will keep an open mind. Human beings have 12 ribs. That creature, I count only six ribs. But we understand, it's a, it's a little child. It's, it's, it's a very, it's a two-year-old. Yeah, but... I mean, when but they're that small, not, their little bones are so tiny, you're not going to see all the ribs. It has flesh over the rib cage. There's, yeah, there's you know, I mean... A mummy. It could be a mummy, but it could also be an E.T. human hybrid mummy from the time of, of Agnaughton. They've done studies now on Agnaughton's DNA, and they have found that there is something really strange in his DNA that's not of this earth. So, I, and also, let me tell you this: I have seen and I have copies of photographs that were taken of two embryo mummies that were found in King Tut's tomb, and uh, they claim that these were aborted fetuses or miscarried fetuses and that um, they were revered and they were mummified. And when Carter found King Tut's tomb, they found these jars and they opened them up. And one mummy, baby mummy, looks like a human being. And I swear to you, that other mummy looks like a total gray alien. The head of a gray alien on a little human body. Now, the, when, this, when I pointed this out years ago, over 10 years ago, I wrote to Dr. Cyril Wecht and when they were doing the analysis of the, um, the Roswell aliens, etc., and I pointed out that this thing has no likeness to any, any human fetus that we've ever seen. And then I subsequently tried to get more information and more pictures, modern pictures, because the pictures I'm talking about coming, are coming from the late 1920s and early 30s. And it turns out that the Egyptian uh, Antiquities Department claims that they accidentally broke it. They crushed the skull of the alien-looking one. So there's yeah, no... That happens a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> accidentally, uh, yeah. Anomalous but, but you know, the thing, the thing about that photo, you know, I, I think that was pretty much debunked. I mean, I, and I am open-minded, but when I saw it, I, I recognized it for what it was, and, and other okay. people did, too. Yeah. Um, and and that, that, that placard kind of laid it out. Now they know yeah. that they were probably in the area as uh -huh. tourists at the time. But uh -huh. but the thing is that, like you said, I mean, I mean, first of all, without having it in hand, 
you know, mm-hmm. in an, based on an ancient slide, you know, 30, 40 years old. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can't make an, you, you need to have it in hand where you can look at it. And that's why, you know, they, that, that things happen, like you said, like the, the creature's getting its skull crushed because yeah. the danger, the danger was that somebody would get that in hand. So here's the question. Okay. The, so the skull was crushed. Well, what happened to the rest of the remains? It still has the same DNA. Yeah, right. Maybe it may be that that is um, that is ultimately what's going to determine it. But uh, if you look around uh, the internet, this article came out about uh, four weeks ago, I believe, three four weeks ago. That deals with this very strange component, an alien component, in Akhenaten's DNA, and thereby all of his descendants. You know, they had the elongated skulls that um, characterize. Akhenaten, Anxunamen, his his daughter, the one who married uh, was married to King Tut. King Tut himself has the elongated head. So there's a great mystery there. And uh, the Egyptians themselves say, you know, the sky gods came down and downloaded the their civilization. So I believe that... Oh, let me just say this while we're on the same subject, on this topic of interaction between extraterrestrials and human beings to create hybrids. If you read the Dead Sea Scrolls, there is a, a scroll called the Chariots of Glory. And in the Chariots of Glory, you find out that there was a special tabernacle erected in the center of the Qumran Essene community, which was a place where the angels came and went on their quote-unquote Chariots of Glory right. and had intercourse with uh, Essene women. And among right. the among the things are in, in the Dead Sea Scroll and the Chariots of Glory are very strict hygienic laws, rules, uh, protocols for uh, contamination, for dealing with contamination. It said that if a woman uh, should, should receive any angel seed on her, on her skin, on her arms, on her legs, that it had to be cleaned off and purified in a very, very special way um, to prevent any complications and it's pretty clearly explicit as to what's going on there so now we have this presence of angels who are having intercourse with women in the Qumran community in quote unquote a tabernacle that's a holy tent that's erected specifically for that purpose and so we have this connection now that makes some sense of the story of the angel Gabriel announcing to Mary that she would bear a child and also to her cousin Elizabeth. So both John the Baptist and Jesus apparently were artificially inseminated beings who came down to earth with a particular knowledge base and download to change the course of history. And to be quite honest with you, I can't imagine what a horrible world this would have been if the Roman Empire without any influence of Christianity had unfolded, it would have been uh, a global a global Nazism from the get-go. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. So yeah. I well, encourage well, people to read the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's full yeah, of them. I, I agree, it is. And even the Book of Giants talks about, before the flood, the whole thing that was going on. But here, here's the thing about it. With, with You know, from a non-comp... Well, from a non-simplistic... Uh, way of looking at this, you know, fallen angels and angels both are extraterrestrial beings. Yeah, I mean, okay, they're they're around for billions of years before humans exist. Yeah, 
They have cumulative knowledge base and an inherent knowledge base. They supposedly can pass into human form, humanoid form, or any number of other forms in the physical world. So they have technology. I mean, we're told uh, over and over again in, in different Dead Sea Scrolls about, about them having technology and in introducing technology to, to mankind. So when you start looking at this, you, you see that, you know, what to one person is an alien or an extraterrestrial – in another interpretation, is is an angel or a fallen angel, you know, depending on their 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 attitude toward humanity and toward mm-hmm. the creator that that they 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 originated with. So this this could tie in with the whole ancient alien thing. It ties in with the with the whole idea of, of the quantum physics aspect, the multidimensional aspect of a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think that rather than think of these beings that come as purely biological things that evolved on some distant star, we need to look more at what the ancients told us about who and what they were. Mm-hmm. Well, in that regard, I recommend the work of John Lash on Gnosticism, because apparently the Gnostics had figured all of this out. They called them the Archons, and uh, they're kind of predatory, predatory beings, predatory spiritual beings that have the capacity to congeal into a physicality. But uh, I would like to touch on one uh, one great genius in in ufology that I admire very much for for his work in alien abductions and one particular insight that he had and this is Whitley Strieber in Communion when he tries to explain this the idea of these intrusions coming from an interdimensional world or a place on the other side of life right he conceived an idea that I thought was brilliant. And he said this, perhaps there is a technology on the other side of death and that these beings have discovered this technology that makes it possible for them to open a porthole and then come in and manifest for a brief period of time to get their message across or to achieve their their goal, which may be an alien abduction, a ghost, a ghostly apparition, an angelic uh, manifestation. But that idea that tech- a technology exists on the other side of death that can make them appear made tremendous sense to me, particularly after several ghost experiences that I've had in my lifetime, during, I, during which I experienced... A terror and a panic and a sense of uh, mortality that is more powerful than anything else I've ever been through. And even though my mind and my soul were not frightened in the experience, my my body, my corporal right. nature was in abject terror and oh, and f- frozen with fear. But right. this is key. I feel and I felt then that I was in the presence of something that was super cold and that the super cold technology, specifically something called the Bose-Einstein condensate, is what was called in olden days ectoplasm. That ectoplasm is a super cold um, gas, gaseous form that permits these beings to assume an apparently material form 
for the purpose of communicating with, uh, with us, people like me, who basically are receptive to messages from the spirit world. And I have been guided in much of my work, specifically the John F. Kennedy assassination. Uh, that, that has been inspired knowledge that was revealed to me. And someday I'll be, I'll be happy to sit with you and, and talk to you about my dear, near-death experiences where, where the download came down that helped me solve some of the major mysteries of the JFK assassination. So, hmm, interesting. super, oh, super yeah. technology. Super cold. Hmm. Would you like to talk a little about the moon? <laughs> well, why don't we? Yes, I, I, I definitely would, Robert. Why don't we go ahead and uh, uh, this this would be a good opportunity for us to go ahead and take our break now. So let's go ahead and take our break, and then when we come back, let's uh, let's let's get more into the moon because I've been chopping on the bed a little bit about that. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, you are listening to the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Our guest tonight is Robert Monroe, and when we come back, we are going. <laughs> to uh, hopefully <laughs> talk a little bit more about uh, uh, Lunar Mysteries. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Free stuff for you just for listening to this station. Yo, we got your attention? Here's how it works. You click on the radio loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then you keep on listening like you already do. But now you earn points. Those points add up, and you can trade them in for cool stuff in the radio loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the new player's app store. Pretty simple. Free stuff just for doing what you already do. Radio loyalty. Click the banner to join now. Join the club that gives you stuff. Hey, thanks. Radio loyalty. Here's how it works. Just click on the radio loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then you keep on listening like you already do. But now you earn points. Those points add up and you can trade them in for stuff in the radio loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the new player's app store. Pretty simple, right? Radio loyalty. Click that banner to join now. Only in the forest can you see this. <laughs> But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. <laughs> Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! 
beach. Is the moment I knew that for him? You can't even see the top of that thing. Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will pick and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. to the Tribal Music Warriors uh, group that uh, that Mike actually uh, found and was able to get us uh, some some absolutely fantastic uh, uh, right. selection of, of music here. And I want to uh, apologize to Robert. When we went out on our break there, I, I referred to him as Robert Monroe rather than Robert Morningstar. So uh, I, I apologize, Robert. <laughs> We're kindred spirits, and uh, both Robert Monroe and Marilyn Monroe hang around my, <laughs> hang around my house. <laughs> well, but you were you were saying though uh, during our break that uh, uh, Monroe actually uh, did he do a uh, one of his uh, astral projection sessions uh, 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 towards the moon? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that I I use the Robert Monroe's book Journeys Out of the Body as my teacher's manual when I teach remote viewing and that I I taught I have taught courses in remote viewing most recently at the Edgar Casey Center here in New York which was a month long mm. course and on the last night uh, after I trained this this little this core group of uh, five six seven uh, participants uh, we targeted the moon and uh, we successfully uh, remote viewed the moon and some of the accounts that came from some of the people were amazing. In particular, one fellow walked in at the total end of the seminar, did not get any of the training, apologized and said, I only found out about it tonight. Can I come and sit in? And I said, sure, come on in. And he was from Colorado. So uh, I led the group into the egress. That is when you're able to put your body into a deep, a state of deep rest and tranquility and project your mind, your soul, your spirit out of your body to the target. So we all did it. We all went. 
and I had my own experiences, and several ladies were in the course, and they had remarkable experiences. But this one fellow struck me because he didn't know how accurate he, he was. He came back and he said to me, I, I went someplace, but I could not believe that I was really there in the moon because he said, I'm from Colorado, and I do a lot of cave uh, spelunking. I do a lot of cave exploration. And what came back to me was this smell of wet rocks. And I know the moon is totally dry, so it's impossible for me to have been smelling wet rocks. And what I said to him was this, Oh my, oh my Lord, you don't know how right you are. Because even though they've said that the moon is dead, is dry as a bone, that's right. not true. In the last uh, three years, they have discovered that water is ubiquitous on the moon. And that word, ubiquitous, means everywhere. And it's not my word. It's the word used by a group of researchers at the University of Tennessee who rightfully deserve the, the credit for discovering the existence of water on the moon. They did it by ex, uh, studying the rock samples brought back by Edgar Mitchell in Apollo 14, which is rich in limestone. And limestone only forms in water. So that was one hint. Then there's the Chandra, the Hindu Indian. When I say Indian, I say Hindu Indian to, to distinguish it from American Native American Indian. Well, the, the Indian government sent the Chandra satellite around the moon, which was probing the surface. And it said that the moon is wet all over. There are these giant patches of moisture that are just beneath the surface. And then, of course, um, all of that was kept out of our mainstream media, except that uh, until the time that NASA blew up the LaCrosse uh, satellite and fired two, it destroyed two satellites that we sent up and sent one into crashing into Cabeus Crater in, near the south pole of the moon and then flew the second one through the debris. And they came out and said, oh, yes, there's a lot of water there. We vaporized it with the first detonation and we flew through it and there is enough water in the south polar region of the moon near Cabeus Crater for us to establish a base there where we could draw on that frozen water for uh, drinking water as well as for making um, oxygen. So, the moon is wet. Hmm. And where there's wetness, where there's water, there's life. That's my saying. If it if it's wet, there's potential for life. Now we're finding water all over the moon, all over Mars. It was this. See again. This information I'm giving you, I got it right from the NASA channel. I have the NASA cable channel, and I tune in every once in a while, periodically. And last December 16th of 2014, there was a major press conference. And they announced that uh, it's pretty much a given that there there has been life on, on Mars and that the presence of water in so many uh, places indicates that there, there was life on Mars and possibly there may still be life on Mars. And with the discovery of these artifacts by uh, Rami Barlan and uh, Brian Hopkins and myself over the years, it's pretty clear that it was very intelligent life capable of uh, creating artifacts, manufacturing things, tools, objects that are scattered all over the Martian surface. So again, let me just say this name, Rami, 
R A M I B A R Rami Bar Ilan A I L A N, and he has a web page, a, fi- a Facebook page, and he puts up his uh, his material there, and I recommend it to everyone. It's really uh, wonderful and imaginative and insightful. And how come Mars is starting to look like Arizona and New Mexico? <laughs> exactly. After all those years, you know. And we see clouds and uh, rivulets. Listen, fellas, I have a videotape that I taped off the NASA channel that shows a beach on Mars. And I mean a beach with tidal pools and waves rolling in to to crash on, on this beach. But the remarkable thing about this little snippet that's about three to four seconds long that I was fortunately able to capture off the NASA channel, the waves are propagating in a, a way that I would say looks unnatural to an Earthling. We have a different uh, field of gravity, and we have a different atmospheric pressure, and so waves on Earth propagate and crash and uh, are formed by forces that are slightly different, significantly different uh, than than um, those on Mars. And that's one of the qualities of this little piece of videotape that convinces me that I'm really seeing kind of slow motion waves breaking on a Martian beach. And they do it very subtly. You know, NASA's leaking stuff left and right, or NASA technicians take the opportunity to leak, leak stuff and non-verbally. They just put it there and they hope a person like myself right. or you, like me, or, or you are watching and say, hey, what's that? And that's a guy yeah. jumped, you know. I keep yeah, saying that, that's I, happened. Sure, <laughs> I keep saying on, on radio shows. I, I almost fell out of my seat. You know, I, I jumped out of my skin because that's really what happens. You see these things, <laughs> and you like. I sent you a few photographs. I sent you a photograph that I've been waiting for five years to release, and it's called the bridge on the far side of the moon, and that comes from a Clementine photograph that was uh, composed now, you know when um, when you find something in a photograph uh, that's significant NASA often debunks it by saying oh that's a scratch on the photo uh, that's um, a flaw in the film something like that however this bridge that I sent you the photo this close up of the bridge comes from a composite Clementine photo that was composed out of 22 and a half million individual frames. Mm-hmm. So this is not a scratch on the film or a flaw in uh, data drop. This is an arch bridge on the far side of the moon. And thank you to the Naval Research Laboratories who run the Clementine uh, project. Because in fact, as I've said before, there has been a war, uh, an intelligence war, uh, for, for decades between two services. One is to keep the lid on the secrets and the other one is to bring the secrets to light. And the two agencies that are uh, at, at odds with each other are NASA and the Air Force, which you can consider one entity, and the other one is the United States Navy. The Navy and the Air Force were always going at loggerheads, trying to 
one, trying to suppress the information through Project Blue Book and all these other, the Condon Report, that was the Air Force tech. And then there were admirals uh, like Admiral Hillencotter, former director of the CIA, who made up the term flying saucer, serious business. He revealed that uh, February 25th, uh, 1960. And he said the Air Force is denying that... Uh, the Air Force is denying that UFOs and flying saucers exist, but I can tell you, in the United States Air Force, flying saucers are serious business. And that's where uh, Frank Edwards got the name of his book. Right. Took up, right. Took up is. So the Navy's always been trying to tell people, you know, keep an open mind and tell them the truth, get it out into the public. Major Kehoe, Major uh, Donald Kehoe, he was a Marine pilot, and he was uh, part of NICAP, and I was watching the show. I was watching CBS that night that he was on, and he began to speak about UFOs, and they cut off his mic. Mm -hmm. They had the camera on him. They had the mic on him, and then they cut off the mic, and they took the camera and gave a real long shot of the whole studio from very far away, but you could hear him yelling at the other end of the studio that yeah, UFOs yeah. were real and that, uh, who was it? Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace had the document in his hand, one of the two documents that Major Kehoe was referring to. And Major Kehoe forced him to admit that he had the document. And then he read one little blurb from it, which was kind of dismissive. But when you find the whole document, which was basically the Robertson Report, you find out that they were very concerned with flying saucers and how flying saucer reports could uh, inundate the communications department and just cut off all possible communications. So they decided we can't have this. Too many people are seeing UFOs. The switchboards light up whenever they show up. So we've got to stop this because right, the, Russians, right. the Russians could use that in part of a sneak attack. If they lock up all our communications lines and systems with UFO reports, then a real attack will be harder to respond to. But it's a very very sinister situation with the UFOs trying to trip nuclear war between Russia and the United States, which is right. something... Well, which ties in again, If what if they were Nazis? If they actually are Nazis, yeah. then what better way to get back at the two greatest powers that brought them down yeah. than to try to trigger a nuclear war between the two? Exactly. Well... But would uh, would that really any more uh, serve them? Because you know the the Nazis have entrenched themselves, I think, in the, into the whole worldwide financial system, Absolutely. and and by creating a, a, a massive war like that, I mean that would devastate well, everything. I, 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 and how can you, how can you make money off reasons. of that? There's two okay, reasons. War war is a money making enterprise. And nothing drives financial growth and economic growth like war does. War, That's the yeah. first thing. The second thing is there are always factions. Even in our own government, you know, you got this group wanting to do this and the other group opposes them. And they actually oppose each other with things that they do behind the scenes. Yeah. So, you know, it could be the same situation. But again, you know, I mean, that's what brought us out of the Great Depression was the, was the war effort. Mm -hmm. uh, it got our industry going again. So, yeah, I mean, 
Well, I mean, we're we're talking about a conventional war, though. I mean, you know, you get nukes flying in every di- single direction. I mean, that's that is going to be a cataclysm like we have never seen before. I mean, yeah. you know, and then plus, if you know, if somebody launches a couple of uh, EMPs and knocks out the entire planet's, you know, uh, electronic infrastructure, there's no right. money to be made there. Well, <laughs> well I don't think, think, think about this. I don't think I mean, it's all about money. No, okay, uh, it's about a I, lot of different things. I think, Revenge say, is a strong factor. <laughs> I, think the, I think that the aliens, that the aliens that were in contact with the Germans are not Nazis. And I believe that the Roswell crash was really a Trojan horse. And the way it works is this. The aliens knew and know that we are very intelligent, very curious uh, uh, creatures and that we really know how to break things apart and figure out how they work. Now, let me propose this. If they wanted us to become more like them, what better way than to drop this technology on us, make us realize that our industrial base is uh, founded on wrong principles and that if we want to produce this gadgetry, the microchips, the fiber optics, the lasers, the masers, the UFO itself, that we would have to retool our whole industry and thereby retool our whole society to make us more like an ant colony where you have the queen or the king, right? Or the elite. Or the elite, right? And then you have the majors, right? Those are the corporate heads. And then you have the workers, the drones, right? So I believe that this uh, was a Trojan horse, that we did figure out how those gadgets work, and then we did figure out that we had to retool the entire nation from top to bottom, and that included uh, not just industrially and scientifically, but socially and psychologically to make Americans conform to becoming a more ant-like society. And E.O. Wilson of Harvard was another big proponent of this retooling of our society in emulation of the ants, the book he wrote, The Ants. And he, he truly admired them uh, more than he admired human beings, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what we're being programmed to become more submissive and uh, subservient obedient to yes uh, i agree man i think it i think it's totally everything is aimed toward creating a new global feudalism and i call Mm -hmm. it techno feudalism and Mm -hmm. where you know you you give the you give the 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 more obedient serfs you know they they have the more goods they get the nicer tvs and the and the nicer cell phones and stuff but they're still serfs Okay. Well, I call that electronic handcuffs. You know, when I yeah. when I see my friends, I mean, I I have uh, I have students. Uh, I teach Tai Chi I, for stress management for athletics, Tai Chi sports, etc. And my students come, you know, and some of them are very you know high powered businessmen, lawyers, professionals, and we're on our way. I drag people to the park. I said, look, you need sky, you need dirt under your feet, you need horizon, you need trees. You're stuck in cubicles all day, a totally unnatural environment. We're going to the park. We're going to run our heads off. And there I see them, and they're on there, and they got the two fingers, the two thumbs on the blackberries. And I said, "Will you put away that electronic handcuff?" I said, "Because that's what it looks like. 
it looks to me like a person with handcuffs and they all uh, and the only thing they're using are the thumbs or the index fingers to peck away they get away from that thing and so uh, this distraction element of this new technology is a very important control factor if they've got you looking at your Apple phone and checking your uh, Blackberry every instant uh, then your mind is, is has been hijacked to that uh, gadget, that apparatus, and you're not watching. You're not seeing the car that's coming around the corner. You know, you don't see that pool that people. You've seen those videotapes of people walking into pools and swimming pools and falling over fences just because. That's the level of distraction. If your mind is distracted and focused only on one thing, you know, like tunnel vision, then uh, you know your mind has been hijacked. So right. wake yeah. out. Yeah, don't don't. Pay no attention now to the man behind the curtain. Right. I think that you, Bill, uh, Bill and Tim and uh, people like George and Uri on C2C, that's the real news. Everything else I see on CNN and Fox is propaganda and distraction. Like the shooting in Charleston that happened, uh, you know, 10 days ago or so. The, everything's about the Confederate flag and guns. Hey, it isn't. It's about this drug-induced psychosis that is happening to hundreds of people, uh, both, uh, you know, criminal types that go in and shoot up mosques and temples and churches, but also just ordinary people at the VA. They're being dumped with, uh, you know, this, this uh, pharmacopoeia of uh, destructive drugs that imposes a different personality on the person. Well, I think we're, go- we're going into the, the, to the territory of MK Ultra here, and I believe it's still okay. MK Ultra was was being used during the seventies, sixties, and seventies. Okay, oh. and, then it, and, then it, and then it came out, and it was admitted that it was real, and so forth. Mm-hmm. But um, and okay, we're not going to do that anymore. Oh yeah, right, right, oh. sure not. Okay, well, you know. so if you take that and extrapolate that forward in time with advances in technology, mm-hmm. and if they've been still doing that type of program and throwing in electronic manipulation, uh, uh, brainwave modification, all this other kind of stuff, there's no telling what they can get people to do now. Well, Bill, you've hit it on the head again. And the situation is this. MKUltra was a CIA program that started in the 1950s and ran into the 1970s. However, what people forget is that there is a migration of um, a migration of officers that go from military and intelligence posts and then are hired by industry. And these people have moved into industry and business carrying with them this MKUltra knowledge that, that they derived while they were serving yes. in either the military or in the uh, CIA. And then they go to the corporations and they start applying this same MKUltra technology within the corporation, and then in corporate advertising. And that's what I see has happened. It is rampant. It yeah, was, it the, genie, the genie was in the bottle, let's say. You know, a special group of psychologists who knew and understood and applied this to things like cutting up the Zapruder film and turning it into an optical illusion to force true the single gunman theory. Because if we saw the real Zapruder film, we'd know the man was riddled. I was watching... I was watching um, Walter Cronkite on the November 22nd broadcast, 1963, and he says that the president was shot in a fusillade of bullets. 
and you, a fusillade that's mm-hmm. not one shot at a time a fusillade is like right. a fire squad right? right so the 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 words are there the hints were there but now the the jig is up folks if you see a movie called JFK to 911 everything is a rich man's trick you will get the real story of the JFK assassination i'm very proud to say this gentleman who produced this movie focused on my work and he did a good job in presenting it and it's that the Zapruder film is altered your senses have been hijacked it tricks your peripheral vision into misperceiving the motion of the car the motion of the people and the body of officer J.D. Tippett and his brain were used for the autopsy of President Kennedy because J.D. Tippett was shot with one bullet through the brain by an assassin who surgically killed him he shot him three times in the chest. He fell to the ground. The assassin walked over, put the gun to his head, and put a single bullet through his head, through his brain. The bullet did not exit. And that's the brain that was used to prove a single bullet had gone through President Kennedy. Secondly, none of the photographs that you've ever seen purported to be President Kennedy in the morgue at Bethesda are President Kennedy. They are Officer J.D. Tippett, who bore such a close resemblance to President Kennedy that his friends on the Dallas Police Department used to call him Jack and JFK. And J.D. Tippett was also Jack Ruby's best friend. They rode around wow. together. And Jack Ruby worked for Richard Nixon since 1947, when Richard mm. Nixon was investigating the mafia. So it's all coming to light. We just have to open our eyes and stop being distracted and manipulated by what the mass media is pawning off. And they have to listen to the outer edge more often because the outer <laughs> edge is giving you the real news. I sincerely believe that. What, what was the name of that documentary again? It's called JFK to 9-11. Everything is a rich man's trick. And when I first found out about it in January, uh, the gentleman had only 8,000 hits. And I started to watch it. Totally oblivious of the content and I said to my girlfriend hey look this is a pretty good documentary why don't you come I've been watching this for about uh, an hour and a half it's really pretty good and then sits down and about three four minutes later the the gentleman Francis Richard Connolly says uh, all of these things were a mystery the JFK assassination and no one could figure it out and pardon the expression but this is what he says until a wonderful investigator named Robert Morningstar (laughs) discovered one very important thing about Officer Tippett. And then he goes on and tells a story. Wow. Uh, I do not espouse uh, Mr. Connolly's politics, which is very socialistic. But he did a good job with the history, and I think it's the most accurate telling of America's 20th century history that I have seen. And it starts with World War I and the uh, the arms industry and how Samuel P. Bush made millions uh, selling the Enfield rifle and arming World War I troops. And then it goes on to Prescott Bush and his trading with the enemies and building up the Nazi empire for Hitler, and on and on and on. So get the real lowdown. JFK to 9-11, everything is a rich man's trick. And when people talk to me about conspiracy theories, I say... There is only one conspiracy, and it's not a theory. All of these little (laughs) sub-conspiracy theories are patchwork elements of the overall New World Order conspiracy. Right, 
Right. They're all interconnected. It's all interconnected. Sure. And that's that's the nature of our reality anyway. Everything is interconnected. Right. So. Yeah. The octopus. Well, the thing is, we have to become more uh, discerning and not be uh, tricked so easily. You know, the the, uh, the the shell game. You know, they uh, they put a pea under one shell, they move them around, and then you lift it, and it's not there, but you thought it was there, and you didn't notice that the hole in the table swallowed up the real pea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's really magic. Well, well, I think you know that's that's one of the problems right now is that uh, you know especially uh, uh, with the internet is that people are bombarded by so many different uh, conspiracy theories. You know, I'll, I'll just use that one. You know, I mean, it's just uh, I mean, it's you know, this group did it. No, this group did it. No, no, this group did it. And I mean, it's just it's really hard for people who who may have an interest in it just to discern you know the wheat from the chaff. Well, you know who the first great conspiracy theorist was? Is President Kennedy. On April 27, 1961, at the Waldorf Astoria, he, um, he addressed uh, the national press and asked them for their help in, in uh, exposing government secrecy. And he said, we are opposed by a glo- great global conspiracy. He's the one. He said, there's a conspiracy. We are opposed by a great global conspiracy yeah, yeah, did. that uses subversion instead of invasion, uh, intimidation instead of military uh, affairs well, and protocols. He I, also said, said he, he yeah. was the last real outsider that we had as president. Yeah. He was the, mm-hmm. he was the last one who wasn't somehow hooked into all the secret societies and and, and things of that nature. So when he figured out. Their inf- what, the, what their influence was and, and where it was going mm-hmm. and started talking about it, they couldn't tolerate him right. you know, continuing. So. Well, what, oh, Eisenhower warned us. I saw Eisenhower's speech about the military-industrial complex. I've been informed recently that they struck out a word that uh, Eisenhower had another phrase that he wanted to use, and it was military-industrial-pharmaceutical complex. And his speechwriter said, that's too much. You've got to take out pharmaceutical. Really? It's, yeah. So this thing about uh, the shooter, let me go back to um, Dylan Roof. Um, he's on this drug called Suboxone, S-U-B-O-N-E, oh, oh, Suboxone, uh, Suxone, excuse me, S-U-X-O-N-E. Suxone, they pronounce it. But if you split okay. that word, it's it's you can pronounce it sucks one, you know. <laughs> and this is the yeah. kind of a diabolical uh, thing that I see in the naming of these horrific drugs by the pharmaceutical company. It's kind of like an in joke that uh, they're they're goofing on the product they're labeling and the people that they're going to uh, manipulate. You know, cognitive dissonance is a very big part of this mind control. Uh, Apparatus, the MK Ultra one, and that's what I see happening every time I see CNN, which seems to be wholly funded by pharmaceutical companies. I'm seeing this double messages. They show you all these beautiful images of people living a pleasant lifestyle and smiling and having a happy life, and in the background they're telling them that if you use this drug, you may have a massive heart attack, you may have bleeding in your kidneys and your liver. If you get an erection for more than four hours, call your doctor. You know, 
all the warnings are simultaneously being played. Uh, and so this puts the brain into a confused state. But it ensures that you will remember the product. Yeah. It's not the negative uh, vibes. So yeah, yeah. that's called subliminal seduction. Yeah. That's a great book, by the, by the way. Really, yes. It was yeah, a real yeah. item. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. Few people. What I, well, I, I was going to what uh, uh, what was this drug that uh, that he was taking? Was antidepressant, antipsychotic? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, all it's of the above. It's, 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 it's an opiate. Yeah, it's designed to help people um, come off of harder opiates like heroin and and so forth. Oh. So, hey, can I give you an it, example? I'd yeah. like to give you an example of something that that I know for fact. Okay. Many many years ago, I. Um, I was practically engaged to uh, a young doctor. She was uh, an intern and a resident at a major New York hospital. And it was a very, that's a very tough time in, in a person's life, a doctor's life, the internship and then the residency. And during this program, uh, she was involved with administering methadone to a lot of addicts that uh, New York State was trying to get off heroin. And one day she came home and she was really, really upset and really disturbed. And she said to me, I had a really terrible, very creepy experience today. I've been in this program for about six months, and every week I interrogate or I interview, you know, scores of people who are in the program. And all of a sudden today, I had three people, and it was uh, two men and a woman, and they all were saying the same things to me. And they all had the same expressions on their faces. And I looked back on the last six months and I realized that every time one of these methadone uh, subjects has come in, that I was really dealing with the same personality. There were different scores of different people, but I realize now that I've been talking to the same personality. And it's as if the methadone is going in and creating this alternate personality, which becomes the dominant personality in, in their lives. That's a hint, folks. Listen, this guy in Charleston was on psychotropic drugs. The guy who shot up the Washington Navy Yard, he was yep. on psychotropic drugs. Uh, Lofner, the guy who shot um, the congresswoman in New Mexico. Right. Uh, uh, Darren uh, Klebold and Kevin Harris... They hid for five years that Kevin Harris was on Zoloft and that he had begged his parents to go to the school counselor who put him on the drug and tell him to get him off the drug. So the parents went to the school counselor and says he's, he says that it's making him feel suicidal and terrible and please take him off. And the guy said, yeah, I'll take him off Zoloft. Let's give him the generic form of uh, the same drug. So this is the real cover-up. The fact that the drugs are creating the killers, the suicides among the Veterans Administration uh, victims, those are drug-induced. I found out something from Doc Vega, who's one of our premier writers on UFO Digest, and it was about Bethesda Naval Hospital. He wrote a long 10-series, 10-page, no, 10 articles on Dulce, the base, the alien base in New Mexico. Right. And in one of those, he went into Bethesda Naval Hospital and the reason that the Bethesda was, was built. And he revealed that after World War II, we had so many soldiers and servicemen 
coming back who had been involved in black operations and top secret uh, projects uh, that they had to be controlled and that Bethesda Naval Hospital was designed to process these men and erase their memories or ingrain a fear of ever speaking about what they knew. And it was to be done using drugs and um, uh, intimidation. And so the purpose of Bethesda Naval Hospital was to erase the memories of these servicemen of the black operations and the top secret projects they'd been involved in. And that model became the model for the VA system. And our soldiers and air servicemen who are being treated at the VA are undergoing the same drug-induced process to erase their memories of, A, the traumas, that they suffered, but to erase their memories of the black operations in which they were engaged. So it's not benevolent as far as I see it. The number of suicides among our servicemen is, is a tragedy as greater, greater than the wars in which they fought. Yeah, feel- as, as their funding for the VA and the, and the response of the VA is, is, is pathetic, and mm-hmm. as they are talking now about giving them a 20% cut in their retirement pay. Yeah. So, yeah, they're being treated real well. Yeah. Well, someone was talking about the difference between bail-ins and bailouts. And bailouts are when the government takes its money and bails out a bank. But this new term, bail-in, involves the government seizing the assets of the depositor, the, then giving that to the bank to bail them in to solvency again. It's um, oh, wow. It's pure communism, folks. You know, we've got to, you know, a, t- a tiger can't change its spots, but a snake can molt its skin and come up with a new skin. And that's what I feel we're fighting. We're fighting communism taking over our country under a new skin. And yeah. the those treaties, the, I'm fighting... Uh, fang and claw against the Trans-Pacific uh, well, Trade well, Pact. Well, well, but that's look, only one of many. Here, here's the thing that people don't understand. All these isms are all different heads of the same hydra. Okay? Yeah. Communism, fascism, um, uh, socialism, including uh, not, uh, Nazis, which of course is a socialist yeah. movement. So um, the, the, the hardcore uh, super capitalist elites who want to own everything and screw the rest of us. They're all part of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea that they're not, they're different factions of, of, of a greater beast, is what I'm saying. I and, agree. and it's the same thing with politics, you know, the idea that there are two parties. I mean, the very thing that Washington warned us about, you know, don't get involved with the parties, and this is why, in, in, in his farewell address, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, people are so easily misled. Though they want to be able to compartmentalize everything, label everything, blame somebody, mm-hmm. and they don't understand that often they are totally manipulated from the moment they're born until the moment they die. Well, we're seeing that right now with the manipulation of the black consciousness and into a frenzy, and yeah. they're talking about the Confederate flag. The Confederate flag didn't kill anybody last no. week. And the exactly. gun 
the gun was motivated by the drug that the the, the poor guy was put on. Well, so, honestly, it was a terrible tragedy. Yeah, but here but, here's the thing. I read that kid's so-called manifesto. Oh yeah. I do not believe for one minute that a ninth grade dropout who was on drugs wrote that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I don't believe it. Oh, he didn't write it by himself. And isn't it a great coincidence? I'm an educator. I've taught school. I've taught ninth graders. Uh-huh. I've taught people who I've taught twelfth graders. Okay, mm-hmm. that guy did not write that. Yeah, I don't believe it. Right, I agree with you. The other part is um, that this young man is is a a victim of the system, the pharmacological uh, industrial complex that uh, I, I alluded to that uh, Eisenhower was trying to warn us about. And all of it is part of manipulating public emotion, raising people's fears, maintaining anxiety and paranoia, and then by distraction, targeting the wrong thing. All of them are talking about the Confederate flag, the Confederate flag. It wasn't the Confederate flag that killed those people. I have to reiterate that. And don't be misguided. And people... uh, as a, a voting block, I think that the uh, African Americans have been manipulated into a, a faction and a block that they actually turn the heat up and they turn the heat down according to their whims of how they want to misdirect yep. the African American. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's obvious. Yeah. And, and so, understand too that, that this is extended now to where let's take the Confederate flag off of the Dukes of Hazard car. Let's take uh, Leonard Skinner albums off the shelves because they have a Confederate flag, Alabama. Uh, you know, blah blah. blah. You know what this is? Is this is an attempt to rewrite and, and rewrite history? It's more, and, and the left does this. This is the left. Yeah. That's what they do. They do it all the time. They attempt to say, "No, no." This they try to revise historical facts, and the whole point here is the Confederacy more than anything else was a reaction against federal overreach. It was a bastion of don't tell us what to do, federal government. States have rights. Right. Once you erase that from the public consciousness or make it look evil and racist, totally racist, then you have made a huge step forward for conditioning everyone to absolutely go into lockstep and do whatever the big daddy federal government tells you to do. That's a big part of this. And they don't tell you, for instance, uh, that the, the things that uh, that Lincoln said about black people in, in the Stephen Stevens Douglas in his, in his debate with 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 Douglas, they don't tell you what about the things that he said in his, his letter to Horace Greeley. You know yeah. that war was not about race and it was not about slavery. Lincoln himself said that he said it. Okay, yeah. it was an economic war, and mm-hmm. in fact, the slave trade was run out of New England and was fi- financed by Northern banks. Mm-hmm. So you know people are so easily misled. Like I said, they're manipulated from the time they're born until the time they die. And they don't understand when they when they, all these big things are happening what the greater overall picture is. You know, while all this frenzy is going on about this idiot, this, this murderous fool who killed these people, what's going on? We're sending uh we're sending weapons and, and possibly soldiers to Eastern Europe. 
Okay, that's what's going on. We're getting ready to fight Putin. Okay, and other things, other uh, things with the Chinese, like you said, the the TPP, all these other things are going on, but they don't want us looking at that stuff. They don't want us seeing that. They want us to focus on these these divisive issues, you know, just like uh, Machiavelli said, what, as he instructed his nephews, you know, keep the people divided with minor issues, and while they're squabbling, and you pretend to take sides on, on two sides, and while they're squabbling and taking sides, you rule from behind the scenes. You make the big decisions while nobody's looking. That's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is so uh, distressing and depressing in that from, I, I'd like to say that the way that uh, the African-American uh, community has surrendered its consciousness to the manipulators of the progressive Democratic Party is kind of a plantation mentality. They think yes. they own the black vote, and it's, I hate to say it, but it seems to me that um, African Americans have volunteered to, to be slaves of the federal government. One of the most distasteful things I ever experienced was Michelle Obama's speech at the National uh, Democratic Convention when she got out in front of the crowd and started a litany saying... We all belong to the government. We all belong to the government. She kept saying and harping it. And you yeah. know what? Yeah. That belong, that belong had a double meaning, you know? And yeah. that the belong, as I understood it, meant ownership. You know, we all belong to the government mean, meant to me in the intonation that she was giving it. The government owns all of us. And well, that's is that's exactly what she was saying. I mean, I remember that speech, and she's not the only one. She's not the only one who said it. And see, here's the problem, Robert. They have confused the role of government totally. They've they've put it. They flipped it. Government is here to serve us, not the other way around. Right. We are supposed to be the authority over government, not the other way around. And the left. And also some on the right, like John McCain, Mitch McConnell, they have the attitude that, no, government will tell you what to do, you will do it, and you will like it. And uh, something's going to have to change, and I think that's all I need to say about that. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're, we're really close to needing to, to wrap up here, and, okay. and, uh, and we really appreciate you being on here tonight. It's always great when you're here. Uh, why don't you tell the, the listeners a little more about what you're working on and and uh, and where we can find your stuff and, okay. and so forth. Well, right now I have um, four pretty good articles uh, on UFO Digest and uh, the Poughkeepsie Black uh, Boomerang UFO, uh, which I co-wrote with um, with Greg Boone. He's the principal investigator. I was co-investigator. Then there's a, an article called I Am Darius and the, the, Rick, the Richard Giroux UFO encounter. And in that, you will read the most uh, detailed description of a UFO experience uh, in the, the commensurate mental states and also explicit descriptions of the physics involved in, in a UFO alien abduction. There's another one on reverse aging, uh, highlighting the work of Cat James. And Skyfire Summit, uh, Travis Walton is celebrating or commemorating, I wouldn't say celebrating, but commemorating the 40th anniversary of his abduction. And I had the privilege of meeting Travis here in New York in April and seeing the new movie that they've produced. It's excellent, excellent quality film. 
you really get to know the whole crew, you understand the whole story, and he is going to have what is called the Skyfire Summit around November 5th in uh, Heber and Arizona. He's going to congregate this uh, conference on the site where he was abducted, and they're going to visit the places like uh, Heber where he wound up calling from the telephone to come and get picked up. And he wanted to emphasize he wasn't naked when they dropped him off. <laughs> he had his clothes on. And he said that although the, the Hollywood treatment of the story was a little exaggerated with things going in his mouth and the covering, he said that what it did convey was the terror and the shock. But he believes that he was actually injured by the UFO and that the, the, they stopped to try to repair him and that a second group of aliens, the Nordic types, came in and rescued him from the greys. It's a very interesting story. That he, he feels he made a mistake. He jumped in the wrong direction. And you know what? The UFO was not high up in the trees. He says that it was just 15 feet above the ground. And he couldn't resist running up to it. But when he got close to it, he felt the electricity in the air. And then he lunged and jumped forward into a crouch practically directly beneath the UFO. And that's when this electrical discharge zapped him and he flew 10 feet and landed like a, a limp rag doll so he believes that they they noticed that they injured him and that they were hope you know giving him first aid but for their own purposes you know they 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 wanted him but they injured him and so they were trying yeah, to fix yeah. him and the other guys came in and uh, extricated him it's a fascinating story and an excellent movie's out so if you're in the Arizona area uh, in November, you might consider uh, which tie, which ties in with with what we talked about earlier about good angels and bad angels. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, we we really appreciate you being here, man. Um, Thank you. It's it was a great show, fellows. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Uh, thank you, Robert. We uh, really appreciate, it, and we hope that uh, you can come back again on the Outer Edge uh, again sometime really soon. I look forward to it. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, Mike, uh, great show tonight, and uh, yes, to uh, to everyone who's listening, thank you for uh, for tuning in, and be sure to tune in next week for another fantastic episode of The Outer Eds. So, good night for Mike Mott, our guest, Robert Morningstar. I'm Tim Swartz, and we'll see you again next time. about the implementation of the mark of the beast. I spoke to you about that, I think, two weeks ago. We addressed Revelation chapter 13, verses 16, 17, and 18. And he calls it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hands, or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name or the number of the beast. Here is wisdom. Let him that have understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six hundred three score and six. They said Halloween 2012, just about to shed some healthy slices, cross the juggles of veins. Before we fail, pull back the veil, that's where it gets thin. Feeling knife along the side of his ribs, then crawl inside his skin. Wearing an asshole, non-believer like a bathrobe. Splash phones with acid, scar face, reverse of speech. In this verse, if you want to hear.